Thank you for listening to this teaching from Table Church. We're in our Advent series right now called How to Hope Again. Now it's been said that we live in a hope-sick world. That means that hope is hard to find and it's evident in everything from our emotional lives to our political discourse. We need to learn how to hope again. And there's no better time than Christmas. So if you're near the Des Moines area this holiday season, we'd love to have you join us at our Christmas Eve service. It'll be at 6 p.m. at the Des Moines Community Playhouse. You can learn more at tablechurchdsm.org. Now, please enjoy this week's message. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And uh, my name's Julie. I'll be reading out of Luke 2 today. And I think maybe... uh, A number of us are familiar with Luke 2, especially the front half of the birth of Jesus, but we're actually going to be in that second section today when Jesus is presented in the temple. So Luke 2, 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary, sorry, I think I'm getting sick, by the way. I was realizing that. Uh, But it's just a cold. No worries. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Amen. Hey, thank you. It's always perfect timing to have to cough while you're up here. Happens to us all. It might happen to me later. Well, good morning. Welcome to Table Church. Good morning. I didn't give you a chance to respond. I just kept talking. This is a conversation. Welcome to Table Church. Whether you're here at the Playhouse or online, hello, good morning. My name is Megan Cook. I'm the discipleship pastor. It's great to see all of you here today. Um, welcome, welcome. Uh, today, as we mentioned, we're going to be we're going to be uh, looking at a passage from Luke two. Now, Luke two is one of the most often quoted passages of scripture every Advent and Christmas season. Most notably, I'm sure you're thinking of Charlie Brown, right? Linus getting up there with his blanket. Uh, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Luke 2 is everywhere. We all kind of know the story by heart, right? Even if you're very young. Caesar Augustus declares there needs to be a census because he wants more tax money, right? He's got work to do. And everybody has to travel back to their hometown to register. And Joseph needs to take his pregnant, uh, betrothed wife, Mary, along with him from Nazareth to Bethlehem for this census. And kids, as we grow up, we're picturing Mary riding on that donkey, and their mothers in their minds are picturing the horrible lower back pain and swollen ankles that have to come from riding an animal for that long, while that pregnant. And now while they're in Bethlehem, the baby arrives, and he's precious, 
And the whole event is dirty and humble and beautiful. And shepherds, at the same time, are out in the field late at night doing their work when an angel appears, unmistakably holy, bringing good news of a Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. This angel deliberately coming and delivering that news to society's outcasts so that they get to hear the word first, to seek that baby out, and to celebrate first. They find him wrapped up, laying in a food trough for animals, and the shepherds, they praise God, and Mary holds it all in her heart. You can just see that nativity scene, right? Now, the second half of Luke 2 is not told nearly as much. I know, I checked, I tried to find it. There's not nearly as many songs or stories that include the second half of Luke 2, but that's what we're going to focus on today, all right? It's 40 days later, and it's time for Mary and Joseph to bring their firstborn son, Jesus, to the temple to consecrate him to the Lord. This is something that God spoke through Moses back in Exodus 13, all right? They bring an offering. They're told that they can bring a pair of doves, or if they're very poor, they can bring pigeons. So that's what they bring. And while they're there at the temple in Jerusalem, a righteous man called Simeon approaches. And Simeon is one of two people that we're going to meet in this passage who are the living embodiment of longing. And that's what this message is all about, hope in times of longing. All right. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. It says, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. All right? That's a lot to long for. Waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's a lot of longing to carry. Can you begin to imagine the longing Simeon carried in his bones? The Lord has promised that he will not die until the consolation of Israel arrives. His body is not going to get to rest until the people in the dark receive their light. And Luke goes on, and here's what happens next in verse 27. It says, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own soul too. The Spirit empowers Simeon to recognize this six-week-old baby as the arrival, the one. This baby is the salvation of many and a stumbling block to some, the glory and the power of God himself in a child who's held and loved, who will suffer 
who will reign, the bittersweet consolation of Israel is here. And next we meet the prophet Anna. In verse 36, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She had never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment as Joseph and Mary stand there. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She's married for seven years and a widow until she was 84. Anna is a woman who worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, longing for redemption, for the healing of Israel, for the world. Anna knows who this baby is. She's waited for him. And she breaks into this spontaneous praise. Anna speaks about this child to all who are looking forward to deliverance, to redemption. What are we all doing here at this temple but waiting toward this one thing? Anna holds the long, painful journey in one hand, and she stretches out the other to deliverance. And Simeon does the same thing as well. These two faithful Israelites spend their lives holding the promise, waiting, looking back to the genesis of sin and darkness and grabbing on to the promises of God through Abraham and Moses, holding space for a nation and a world in wait, embodying expectant hope for the future. And here's what I want you to hear today. When we are longing for an arrival, when it feels as though our bones can feel the missing pieces somehow, have you ever longed for something that much? When we are aching for healing, for restoration, for the feeling when that fracture finally gets set right, reach back and grip the promises God made you while you reach forward in the dark. There is no holier living than to stand in a wide open posture of trust with one hand on what God promised and the other on what you know he will do. There might not be a more vulnerable way to position yourself, right? Heart wide open. You can't defend yourself. God is going to have to do it for you. You see how immediately this changes how you handle what the world gives you. Do you see what an anchor that this can provide so often when we can't see how God is going to make a way we fixate on what we might be able to do, what we might be able to make happen, what might be, and we lose sight of what God already said will be. And if we don't actively keep one hand on the promise and the other on future fulfillment, we can start to make our hands busy in other ways, right? Start to try to fix it for ourselves as an unholy control. And we are all very familiar with this. This is harder. It feels more risky to surrender the work of your own hands to the work of God's. To stop being busy to starve that fixer inside of you that wants to constantly be at work. To starve those anxious rehearsals of dread. 
How many of you know how that feels? You don't have to raise your hand. That feeling of rehearsing dread. It is so much harder to focus on joy in a promise that we can't see with our eyes yet. You think about Simeon and Anna. They're this living embodiment of hope. They're waiting to die. They're longing to see the Messiah. They're holding space for the entire nation of Israel, for the world. Simeon and Anna feel the weight in their bodies. They're living links to the past and the future. They're holding that tension for Israel while she waits. Holding that posture does the same thing for you. How could you not feel the longing for deliverance when you're tethered like this? It is so much easier to distract ourselves like this, to try to keep ourselves busy, okay? When you do this, you're remembering, you're rehearsing the promise, you're rehearsing what will be by reminding yourself repeatedly what already has been done and said, what is going to happen in the future. The Messiah is here in this room. Promises that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago are relevant here today. Promises that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago are alive and spoken over you right now in this present moment, evergreen. If you're tired, Matthew 11 says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you facing an impossible situation somehow? Mark 10, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Mark 9, everything is possible for one who believes. Are you exhausted? but you want to be faithful. Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Are you feeling defeated somehow? John 16 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you feel sinful and ashamed? John 15, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Are powers and principalities in the world trying to shut down your voice? Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Are you feeling worthless or forgotten? Matthew 6 says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The Messiah is here in this room. Promises he spoke 2,000 years ago are fresh in the room right now for you. Keep one hand on what Jesus has already said and done, and the other hand, vice gripped on what he has promised he will accomplish in the future. It's alive for us here right now. The consolation of your soul is in the room. I want to tell you about a woman named Virginia. 
We're going to have some pictures of her on the screen. Virginia McLaurin was born in South Carolina in 1909, the Jim Crow South. She didn't get a birth certificate to confirm her arrival. That was really common for black and indigenous babies at the time. According to McLaurin, she was birthed by a midwife and the birthday put in a Bible somewhere. Okay. And in her childhood, she worked in the fields with her parents. She was shucking corn, picking cotton. Racial segregation was widespread. She went to school through third grade. She got married when she was 13. And later she moved to New Jersey as a part of the Great Migration. And then when she became a widow, when she was, um, you know, not, not too much older, she moved to Washington, D.C. to be closer to her sister in 1939. That's where she lived the rest of her life. Virginia took in and adopted a three-year-old boy. She also had a daughter with her husband. She worked as a seamstress, then as a domestic helper, and she managed a laundry shop. And from the early 1980s, Virginia volunteered 40 hours a week in public schools. Her daughter has now lived into her 80s herself. And Virginia eventually became a great, great, great grandmother. And in 2019, she turned 110 and became a super centenarian. There are many of those. She died at home in Maryland just three weeks ago from today, on November 14th, 2022, at the claimed age of 113 years, 247 days. Do you want to meet Virginia? We got a video of something that happened in 2016 I want to share with you. Did you catch what she said? I never thought I'd live to get in the White House. I never thought I'd live to get in the White House. Let me get this straight. Before I move on, I am not comparing the Obamas to the Messiah. I think you all know that. But I have to say it, right? I have to say it. We'll get mail. But can you still feel that joy resonating in your body? It's like it's palpable in the room, right? I can feel it. I thought I would never live to get inside the White House, much less live to see a black president and his black wife. He's here. You can feel that joy just coming up out of Virginia's bones here in the flesh. It's here. It happened. It's real. I'm touching him. I bet Virginia was familiar with that story of Simeon and Anna bursting with joy in their old age to finally, finally lay eyes on the Messiah. I'm looking at every one of you in this room, and I love you all so much. God loves you so much. Sometimes I just start to feel overwhelmed at, at this sense of love for you, and it's not my love, it's God's love for you, and I just don't have words for it, how much he loves you. Do you feel how much God loves you? Do you know that he's in the room and do you want to feel him here in this room? Do you know that he's here but you want to feel it? You want to reach out and touch him? Do you want that? The Messiah is here. It's happened. He's real. You can touch him. Let's make room for that today as we close. The miracle that we've been waiting for is already in the room. The consolation of your soul is here. He's arrived. He is here with us. 
We're going to move into a time of communion. And as we do, keep that in mind. The consolation of your soul is here. You can come and eat with him. Scripture says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The consolation of your soul has arrived. He is here. His name is Jesus. He's in the room. You can come eat with him. That's what we're going to do today. So as you come, you can come to the table whenever you're ready. There's no order to it other than when you want to get up, come and eat. Everything's gluten-free. Pastor Phil is going to hold the cup so you can take your bread, dip it in the cup, and eat it right away. All right. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to this table right now. And as we come and eat this meal together, as we worship in this last song, I pray that we would be able to hold that posture, arms wide open, heart wide open, a wholehearted worship. It is so much easier to close up and keep some control for ourselves. It's such an illusion. God, I pray that you would break something free in this room right now and that people that need it would get free. They cannot make it happen on their own. But if we want to partner with your will to set us free, you will honor that. So God, I pray that you would make some miracles happen in this room and prove your presence to some people who need to see it, to reach out and touch you to know that you are here. We can hear it thousands of times. There is a difference when we experience it for ourselves. God, I pray in your mercy and your grace, you would just shower this room, the gift of your presence right now as we enjoy this meal together as a family, as we worship. Would you do what you want to do? It's in your name we pray.